Today's episode of The Movies That Made Her But Not Me is sponsored by FilmCred. Providing new film critics and writers in-depth feedback on their writing, FilmCred is made up of a community of collaborators dedicated to publishing insightful reviews, interviews, video essays, and coverage of film festivals. Visit film-cred.com to learn more. On this episode of The Movies That Made Her But Not Me, Lauren and I had the great pleasure of speaking with Patricia Resnick, the writer of 9 to 5. In this episode, we sat down with Patricia and we talked with her about all things 9 to 5. Enjoy the episode. We talk about the first time we ever saw it. I remember being gobsmacked by, yeah, that's the way it is. And finally, someone's talking about it, okay? I loved all the women getting high. I was like, I want to be with them, and I want to be them. <laughs> so I totally identified. And I loved how madcap it was in the sense that we were able to follow along and go like, yeah, Lily Tomlin and the garage door opener. I paid off in the end, you know? Um, just the hijinks of it. You could get the message of, um, of what you were saying, you know, of sexism, of trying to get ahead, of you know, what it's like to be a woman anywhere or in the workplace. And so, um, I was, yeah, anyway. And I was super, super, super jealous that you got to work with, uh, uh, Colin Higgins, I gotta say. Uh -huh. All right, and then I... <laughs> Pardon? Kind of going off of what Lauren said, um, two things, I guess. One, you know, when you were starting to write... Um, the movie and starting to come up with your idea for, you know, what you would want the movie to be about. Um, was there like a specific instance that inspired you or was it just from all of your experiences that you'd had working? So I actually had no experience working in an office at all. Um, I, I had, uh, I had been a waitress for a couple of years. I'd worked in a movie theater. I'd done various and sundry other things, but, um, the idea to do a movie about um, clerical workers was Jane Fonda's. She had um, gotten involved with uh, this organization called Nine to Five, which was uh, sort of trying to unionize office workers. Oh, and um, I read in, um, I think it was in Variety, that Jane Fonda wanted to do a movie about secretaries with Dolly Parton and Lily, Lily Tomlin. And um, I asked my agent to check and see if there was a writer on it, which there wasn't. And I had done my, my first writing was for Lily. Um, I was working for Robert Altman mm -hmm, and I was uh -huh. on the set of a movie that he was producing that Lily was in. And mm -hmm. uh, she eventually asked me to write for her first um Broadway show, which was called Appearing Nightly. Yeah. Um, so I had a relationship with her. I'd written for her. And then Dolly, um, I'd only, I'd written for a little bit because I used to, um, uh, after I did the thing for Lily, I was often asked to write things for sort of the other 80s divas, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And um, 
so I was asked to write a sketch for a share special, and Dolly was the uh, the guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had written a sketch for them, and so I thought I was perfect to write it. And I went and met with Jane, and she had a stack of just kind of statistics, very dry. And she said, but I want it to be a comedy because um, it'll make the message more palatable to people. Um, so we need a story. Uh, so I I had Fox send me to their insurance company in downtown L.A. And I went in every day for two weeks and I became friend, friendly with all the secretaries. And I would take them out to lunch. And this was the days of, you know, the two martini lunches. I would, <laughs> you know, yeah. liquor them up and <laughs> get their stories. And, and uh so between all of the information that Jane had, you know, which was things that we talk about, like daycare and flexible hours and all of that, mm-hmm. um, and, and then this, the Dolly character specifically really came from uh, a situation at the office that I was hanging out at. So, um, yeah, very long sure. She was um, fantastic in this. So I mean, what a, she was so sparkly in it. It was yeah, it was astounding. And then the song, of course, just unbelievable, unbelievable. Such a good song. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was her first. Yeah, it's her first movie. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. You can tell With why cool she became a star from this yeah. movie. Sorry, I said you can really tell how she became a star just from you know yes. from minute one. Yes, yes, absolutely. She's. Um, She's an incredible human being. She's really pretty amazing. Wow. Um, when you were well, talking, oh, sorry, go ahead. Then how did Colin Higgins get in, uh, involved? And how did he kind of share story credit? How did that come about? Or screenplay? Or yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I got sole story and we shared screenplay. So what happened was, um, and there's actually a documentary uh, called Still Working 9 to Five. Um, that talks about this but actually has it wrong Uh, what happened was um, Jane Fonda who was the producer uh, really wanted to get uh, an A-list director preferably somebody she worked with you know so like Sidney Pollack or Mike Nichols or oh yeah um, so actually Mike Nichols was really interested and they sent me to New York for two weeks and um, I got to spend all day with him. For totally weeks. jealous. And it was great and <laughs> got all his notes and I rewrote the script and uh, everybody hated it except for me and him. <laughs> so that was the end of Mike Nichols. Anyway, what was happening was um, the window uh, in which the three women three were could worry. Yeah. to work was, was closing and everyone was panicking and Colin Higgins who had only directed one movie had been really you know kind of promoting himself to direct it and initially you know he wasn't at the level that Jane wanted Mm -hmm. but you know she wasn't getting the people that she wanted and so they hired him and he was a writer director and Uh. so I met with him and he said look you know I don't write with other people I like Laurel and Hardy. I like very slapstick stuff. I'm going to rewrite it. 
and um, I, I was used to working with Altman who always had the writers on the set and um, mm-hmm. I asked about that and he said no 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 there's one captain of the ship and it's me and I don't want you on the set oh um, yeah it wasn't very good or nice oh, I, didn't I was know. allowed mm-hmm. to visit one time <gasps> no way uh-huh. um, you know and then go to the cast and crew screening um so uh and he tried to get soul credit but it was it was really um, oh no yeah 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 i'm sorry if he's like a hero of yours but uh <laughs> well i did like harold and maude he did that yeah, yeah harold and maude was wonderful and we um, did harold and yeah. maude on the podcast yes, as well did. Yeah. yeah yeah i also it's funny i wrote dolly's first movie and ruth gordon's last movie Oh. Yes, but I was not responsible for her death. I was absolutely nowhere near the set. <laughs> Thank God. Um, what was her last movie? What, it was a movie called Maxi um, oh, with Maxie. Glenn Close and Mandy Patinkin. And um, it was based on a book by Jack Finney, who was a wonderful writer, uh, called Marion's Wall. Um, it's a mediocre, a mediocre film. Uh-huh. Um but she was she was wonderful in it anyway um so that's you know we ended up you know going to arbitration with the writers guild and they ended up giving me soul story and we split screenplay and it ended up being very advantageous years later when we wanted to do a musical a broadway musical out of it yes. and it turned out that the i didn't know this but the theatrical rights are attached to story mm. oh yeah, so we didn't have to deal with his estate or anything. It was just... Oh, oh I didn't know that either. Oh, right. interesting. Yeah. So, that's um, that story. So when you're talking <laughs> about writing and coming up with the story and, you know, what kind of comedy you want to do and kind of the influences, you know, like you were saying, Jane Fonda wanted it to be a comedy, um, even though there were it was horrible, you know, circumstances of, like, office place harassment. Um, I think that, you know, she's absolutely right. Like, comedy does make things palatable. But what I have questions about for you is about when you were, you know, coming up with the decisions of the direction of the comedy and and having the women in the movies, in the movie, uh, you know, the comedy being around, like, kidnapping and stealing a dead body. Were you at all concerned that the message of the movie would be lost a little bit and making the women doing things that were just as bad as the things that the men were doing. I'm wondering what you thought, like how the audience would absorb the message if it wasn't so cut and dry. Um, well, it's interesting because my, my original drafts were a much darker comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was kind of black comedy. I, I wanted, I kind of wanted it to be like the elevator pitch would be, you know, three women who have the worst boss in the world and they try to kill him. They, they can't change anything. They try to kill him in funny ways. Um, and when they're unsuccessful at that, they, they, they end up, they end up kidnapping him. And honestly, in 1979, uh, when I wrote it and I was I think four years older than you are now wow. you know mm-hmm. um, no no there was no concern <laughs> no concern oh, that's, <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> I just didn't worry about it and mm-hmm. it's, you know it's funny because I th- there's movies that I really loved and theater that I really loved and um, 
there were so many things that at the time were so acceptable. I, yes. I, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine, you know, who's about 30 years younger than I am. And um, we both love, um, you know, we both love Broadway musicals. And we were talking about the ones that we loved and going back and forth. And, you know, it was this one and that one. And then I said, oh, and Carousel. And he just stopped and he said, Carousel? Carousel where it's like he physically abuses his wife and we are still supposed to like him mm-hmm. and and she sings a song about it doesn't really matter because it's a way of showing love that carousel oh 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 yeah. and you know I, I was just shocked because of course once he said it I thought oh my god that's awful he's right but at the time you know, and and that tells you how terrible the time was. Mm-hmm. It it didn't occur to me. Um. So yeah, no, we we were not concerned. Um. I mean, I actually wanted. I actually had a draft where they try to kill him. Um. They, you know, they fail. And then they kidnap him, and then he's found dead, and they're accused of it. And um, it actually turned out that it was his wife, his long-suffering wife. Oh, interesting. Who yeah. had returned home without them knowing. And anyway, as I said, it was much darker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, when you're talking about the different drafts, I was thinking of something that we talked on the episode about how they do the different ways of uh, getting back at their boss, but they're all in dream sequences. And right. this last time that I watched the movie, I was wondering to myself if if the events that unfolded in the movie were real events that happened or if they were imagined events in the in the minds of the three women who had wanted to get all these things done because when i watched it i was like wow the thesis of this movie is really don't you wish you could just fill in the blank and so i was wondering if maybe the events were more imagined than real events that happened to show like if these women were given the opportunity to do the things that they actually wanted, look at how much better it would be. Well, so so the fantasies really are what was left of, you know, my scenes where, you know, they tried to kill him like, you know, he's very vain and so they convince him he's put on a few pounds and he should go on, a, on an apple and cottage cheese diet and apple seeds contain cyanic acid and so if you eat enough of them they can kill you but you know he loses like two pounds and decides he looks great and then they try to electrocute him um these were those were the days where you still plugged in the electric razor and Mm -hmm. um you know radio or that yeah yeah they get water they get water on him and he's being electrocuted but he grabs onto lily you know, and so she's being electrocuted. So, um, and because Jane was Jane was nervous, and I think the studio was nervous about um, doing something that dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you know, when Colin rewrote it, what that became was the fantasies of killing him. Mm-hmm. Which, 
interesting and people loved it by the way they loved mm -hmm. it but what's interesting is in the in the musical in the theatrical musical uh when we did it on broadway we had the fantasies and they were very elaborate and and then when we started you know it started doing the national tour um it, it was just on broadway we had a giant lcd screen so we could do the little birds and you oh, know right. we yeah. could do everything right. yes and when uh, we were touring you know we couldn't do that and so we kept kind of chopping the fantasies down and then we it, finally we were like it's too long everybody has their own song and so dolly did a song for the three of them and it just it never worked it never worked and then it was revived on the west end um just for, uh, it was there for about a year before the pandemic and it did really really well but the the director and i were just sort of you know we just can't make them work on stage what if we cut them and I was, you know, I was a little concerned that people that were big nine to five fans, which is a part of the audience, oh, yes, would miss them. But you know what? I never heard a word. There was not a single review that mentioned it. Nothing. Hmm. Hmm. So, hmm. Oh, that's fine with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, what inspired you to want to make the nine to five musical? Was it um, the actual content? you know, and just wanting to revisit it? Or did you think that um, a modern audience needed the story again? Or what was sort of your inspiration for bringing it back? Um, so, you know, there's so many musicals based on movies. And so every, every once in a while, some producer would get in touch with my agent or get in touch with me and say, you know, we want to do 9 to 5 as a musical and sort of say okay and then it just nothing would ever happen mm -hmm. and then I think it was about 2000 it was about five years to get it done which is about average so it must have been about 2003 or so um, Bob Greenblatt who at the time um, was producing and then went on to run Showtime and then NBC um, I had a meeting with him and he's a total theater he's just a theater fanatic and I had done one other little musical early in my career that was done in Chicago um, which is near where he's from and he actually had the playbill which was crazy oh wild yeah so we started talking about theater and he said I think we should do a musical of Nights Five and I said okay great thinking well it's you know probably nothing will happen Mm -hmm. And then the next thing I knew, it turns out that he went to high school with Joe Mantello, who had directed Wicked, among other things. Yeah. Wow. And so nice. he came aboard. <laughs> and then Bob and I flew to Nashville to see if we could get Dolly to do the music. And it just came together. But what was interesting is when it, when it was on Broadway in 2009... Um, a lot of the journalists who happened to be all male and the critics would interview me before it opened and they would ask me if it was set, if it was contemporary or if it was set, you know, back in 1980. Sure, mm -hmm. sure, sure. And I said, no, no, it's set back in 1980. And they all said the same thing. They said, well, how is a contemporary audience going to relate to it when all of these things have been fixed? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> really? That, that was their, they didn't know any better? They really believe they really believe that. So when we revived it on the West End, which was post Me Too, 
Yeah. You know, it was a very different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, very different look at it. It was kind of a different, different world. Suddenly, everybody was, oh, this, this didn't go away. Okay. Right. Right. So they were re-reminded. But did you make alterations, thinking, well, this is me too. How do I? Or you were just like, it's the same bullshit. Um. We, you know, we did make, I, I did make a few, I did make a few alterations. There were, there were a few things that were okay in 1980, but in a comedy in 2018, 19, weren't okay. So some of the, um, um, the boss uses some slurs, some not rate, well, for Italians and, mm-hmm. We took that stuff out, and then um, the scene where he kind of pushes her down on the sofa, and she ends up saying, "I've got a gun out there in my purse," and um, it, it was like it was a little rapey, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Ah, uh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, it, it, with a different consciousness, it, it so it still happens, but it was sort of redirected and reblocked mm-hmm. in a way that. Um, you know, made it. It's still happening, but you don't feel like, oh my god, you know, what, what's he going to do to her? And yeah. then I did put in some. I did put in a couple of um, references to the present. You know, there were things happening, and one of them says something like, you know, well, I bet in twenty years this will never, this would never happen anymore. You know, and everybody laughs. Of course, it still is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's interesting talking about a modern audience because, you know, I watched the movie for the first time post Me Too, and so I think some of the things that you were talking about, you know, like talking about Dolly in that scene and it being kind of rapey and that not being the intention felt very much to me like, oh, well, that was the intention in that scene is because, like, you know, harassment is violent and it can get violent and, you know, that happens all the time. Um, so I, I watched it with a very modern perspective, Um and so, you know, obviously after, you know, Me Too happened, uh, nothing in terms of sexual harassment, you know, is, is different. Sexual harassment still exists in the workplace very much. But I think women's attitudes, especially young women's attitudes of what they expect when they go into the workplace has very much changed. Lauren and I talked about that on our episode where I was saying, you know, things that she expected would happen to her when she went into an office, I do not expect will happen to me when I go into right. the workplace. Which and, is crazy to me, but okay, go on. <laughs> so I guess my question for you in terms of the movie is, uh, what do you think that modern audiences can still learn from the movie, even though we have sort of a different perspective than we did in the 80s? Well, I, I, I think very sadly, um, a lot of what the a lot of what the movie was calling for as far as changes in the workplace have still not happened. So, okay, even post Me Too, there is still sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, it's just quieter. Um, people are still afraid to speak up. They're afraid to lose their jobs. But every once in a while, there'll be a whole, you know, kerfluffle because some guy will get Will get fired and it'll turn out oh he's been doing this for years and somebody finally said something um and then the stuff that has nothing to do with harassment none of it has happened daycare yeah. no. right 
Um, equal pay, you know, yes. equal pay. No. Oh, that's the line that, yeah, there's, there's a line about equal pay, uh, how that's certainly going to be in the future. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of laughs knowingly, including the young women. Um, yeah. Um, job sharing, really not so much. Um, and in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, things have gotten worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so those three women um, mm-hmm. could most likely, if they worked as secretaries for a number of years, they probably could afford a mortgage on a small house. They probably could get a new car. That is not the case anymore. Um, we have permanent temps now. So yes. they have no, they have, you know, mm-hmm. they can't even go to HR because they're not even really hired by no, they're not even really yeah. employees there's no pensions um you know most places you know don't have health care um people would kill for a nine-to-five job oh my god mm-hmm. you know that's so funny. oh my god it's true yeah and you know now you could be reached you can be reached 24 hours a day and you're expected to you know check your email and check your texts and answer your phone and be available um and what's interesting is i think that um not so much in my business because you know my business the hours are terrible particularly if you're going to be in production and that's just the way it is if you want to go into it, it that is the way it is but i have friends who have kids who are you know in their late 20s or early 30s who do other kinds of work who are starting to say I'm I'm not working after six mm-hmm. I'm not checking my email I'm not picking up the phone I'm not I'm not I'm not doing shit on the weekend um and that's kind of a new yeah it's like a new thing you know yeah I remember Jeff Jeffrey Katzenberg when I was over at Disney said <laughs> If you don't come in on Sunday, don't bother coming in on Monday. Right. Like, oh. Oh. Right. Okay. And that Absolutely. made perfect sense. Yeah. That's just just that's just the way it was. And a lot of people of of you know our generation, our you know me, Lauren and me, um, kind of feel like oh you know millennials are you know they're lazy. They don't. They're have lazy. Work ethic. You know we we worked and we didn't complain about it, but. You know, that first of all, I've done a lot of staffing on TV shows, and so I've worked with a lot of millennials, and I have not found that to be the case at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know what? There's something to be said for work-life balance. Oh, yeah. absolutely. That's yeah. the whole point. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think it has, you know, I, I, I think it still speaks I think nine to five still speaks to a contemporary audience because, unfortunately, yeah, uh, m- m- most of what it wanted to change, and we certainly thought would have changed yeah. by now, has not. Is that shocking to you? Since it, you know, it came forth from your brain and put it out there, and it, you must have thought, shocking. well, it's going to be funny for a while, but it's all going to change and totally shocking if you yeah. had if you had said to me hey you know 40 plus years from now none of this it, it, none of this is going to be any better yeah I, I i i would have been stunned 
Yeah, you know, I also, you know, you you never do a movie thinking, oh, this is going to be iconic. This will be a classic. People are going to be watching it forty years from now. It that mm-hmm. doesn't occur to you. You're just like, oh my god, can we get it made? And how's it going to do? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And you know, if it end, if it happens to um, be something that people remember, that you know, you're you're just lucky. Yes. I'll answer your question, Lauren, from the opposite perspective. When I was watching the movie and I was seeing all of these ideas being put forth, you know, like uh, daycare and, you know, uh, alternative hours and all of these things, it was super discouraging because those are things that people talk about now and you're like, well, they're new ideas. We'll we'll get there. Other countries are there. And then you watch 9 to 5 and you're like, well, that's not, I mean, what? what like if this movie could implement the ideas like certainly we all should be able to by now yeah yeah i could see where that would be that would be disturbing really disturbing yeah 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 i mean it's kind of like you know sort of like roe v wade and all the all just feeling that we're moving backwards um yes Although in that case something was gained and changed, um, uh, you know when when Roe v. Wade was implemented, mm-hmm. and you know now it's now it's been at least no. to some extent certain states been taken away. Um, so maybe it's not the best because nine to five, a lot of those things never really did happen. Yeah, um, but it's interesting to me that. Um, yeah, of course, how would you know that those ideas ideas have been around for a long time? True, 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 true. Um, a question about how your personal relationship with the movie. Obviously, when the movie came out, it was very big and very successful, but when you were writing the movie, were you at all concerned that um, writing a movie about sexual harassment in the workplace would affect your career at all and your relationships with other men in the industry? No. <laughs> awesome. Honestly, I, I I I didn't give it a thought. Uh-huh. Um, um, and it's funny. I um, when we first started working on it, uh, no, it was sorry. Uh, I had wanted to do after Me Too. I wanted to do a sequel, um, and I I had an idea for a way to have three you know, young, more diverse women in the office place of today with all the problems there are today and then bring in bring in the original three about halfway through the movie. And so I pitched it I had I went to Jane's and had lunch with Jane and Lily and pitched it to them and then I called Dolly and I got them on board and then I decided I I would have a better chance of selling it if if I co wrote it with um a younger writer of color so I got Rashida Jones on board and then hmm. um, anyway we sold it um, and, the, and then uh, Disney bought Fox and uh, that was the end of it but during the lunch Lily and Jane and I had a conversation about um, how much were we sexually harassed when we were young mm-hmm. in the business mm-hmm and it was interesting because um, Lily said she really 
just really wasn't. Um, Jane said she was a little, but not that much, and wondered if it was because she wasn't pretty enough. No, it's because her dad's probably famous, but anyhow, yeah. Heartbreaking. And I was sort of like, you know, there were like a couple of things that happened that if they happen now would be would be problematic but I, I never felt threatened ever and mm-hmm. maybe you know with with Lily and me maybe it's because it was pretty much known we were gay mm-hmm. so um, that might have had some effect on it but um I just had an experience. I hadn't experienced it that much, and uh, I was just trying to write. I was just trying to write a good movie, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, you got more questions, there, Mina? Um, yeah, I have um, a few <laughs> more questions. I don't know if you can yeah. answer this one, but I'll ask it just in case. I know you said that you weren't really on set that much, but um, do you know if making a movie about sexual harassment affected the vibe at all on set or even like when you were writing it or, you know, obviously there's lots of sexual harassment in Hollywood and I'm wondering if making a movie about sexual harassment kind of uh, opened up the eyes of the people who were in it and making it and uh, affected the vibe around the movie. Um, I mean, all I really know in terms of the making of the movie is I, I know that the, the three women got along really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all got along really well with Colin. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a fairly happy set. I don't think any of us thought of it as a movie about sexual harassment. Okay. We thought of it as a like a comedy about secretaries in the workplace. Oh, interesting. You know, one of whom, you know, one of got harassed. Yeah, got harassed. And what's interesting is, as far as I recall, um, all of the stuff that Jane gave me and all of the stuff that she wanted to talk about, sexual harassment was not in there. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't get in there until I went to I, I, I went to hang out at that insurance company and a story pretty much like Dolly's characters was happening. The boss's secretary, everybody, all the other secretaries told me she was sleeping with the boss and they didn't like her. And then when I spent time with her, she actually knew they thought that and she she actually started crying and and said I, I you know he's always after me I don't I'm married I don't I, I'm not sleeping with him but everybody thinks I am mm-hmm. so that's how that came into it I don't even think it was going to be a part of it you know mm-hmm. uh, and and so the consciousness about it I, I don't even think we called it sexual harassment at that point um, I don't know so what we called it. It was so it was mostly focused on um, how do women get ahead in the workplace, or how do secretaries get ahead? Yeah. As opposed to yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, that they're you know that they know as much or more than the guys, the boss, who's more the, yeah. the boss mm-hmm. and the guy who's being promoted, and and also I mean what I liked is that initially, and audiences seem to respond to this that. Um, 
the Jane Fonda character and the Lily Tomlin character don't like the Dolly, don't like the Dolly character because they think she's sleeping with him, and mm-hmm. and then um, you know they end up bonding, so it becomes a women bonding film. What what people what what we were more worried about in terms of the film was could three women carry the film. Oh, I forgot that stuff. That was a big, you know, that was like a big <laughs> hurdle for Fox to get over. You know, would, would people come see a movie about women or three? Yeah, with, with three women and the male lead. Um, I guess they had to really fight hard for Dabney because, it, you know, the studio was worried about having the three women, so they wanted a name for the boss, and and Dabney was more like a TV you know, a TV guy. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I mean, I think he was perfect in it. I don't, Oh my God. He would have done better perfect. than he did. No. Um, yeah. but you know, the film did phenomenally well. And then, yeah. um, first wives club did phenomenally. Yes, well. yes, mm-hmm. yes. But you know, you can name on one hand, um, you know, movies with three women leads or, mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen that often. No, no, it doesn't. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Absolutely. Pat, for taking the time to talk Take with care. us. We really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Okay. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. This episode of The Movies That Made Her But Not Me is sponsored by ScreenSpec, where you can read reviews and features on the latest film and television releases and support underrepresented writers in the process. Visit ScreenSpec.com to stay up to date on what movies and shows you should be keeping up with.